All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, uh, speaking to you from New York City on this, the second day of February, 2021. And I do like to remind you, I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, you can sign up for that letter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can call our office here in New York City, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. And as always, we'd like to encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Go to chenpicks.com, chenpicks.com. And I'm delighted to tell you that Chen is with me, and we'll hear a few words of wisdom from Chen in just a few minutes from now. Uh, I do want to encourage you all to send along your comments to the newsletter, uh, to the uh, to the radio show, uh, whatever they may be, uh, whatever your thoughts are, uh, positive or negative or, or something else, send them along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com, questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And uh, we do need to thank our sponsors because without them, there would be no show. Our sponsors this week, Cassier Gold Corp, SK Mining, Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp, El Oro Resources, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Fury Gold Mines, Great Bear Resources, and Lion One Metals. I should like to mention uh, this morning that SK Mining made public some very strong assays uh, from the last 20 drill holes on its VMS project that is just south of the famous SK Creek mine. Not only was the headline number 35.5 meters grading 9.5 grams of gold per ton and 70 grams of silver per ton, that was spectacular enough, but the company's geologists who are experts in VMS deposits see the possibility that a 7-kilometer long corridor of these high-grade gold and silver metals may very well exist. And next summer they'll be testing that theory, uh, but the numbers have so far have been very, very promising and it looks uh, to these VMS experts like they have another SK Creek uh, deposit potentially on their hands. Of course, it needs to be proven with the drill bit uh, and the drill machine that, that will take place aggressively next summer. I truly believe um, that SK Mining is a story you want to keep in touch with. Now, interestingly enough, despite this great news, the stock sold off considerably today. And I would suggest part of that has to do with a very weak day in the mining in the uh, gold and silver sector. But I would also suggest that it has uh, something to do with the idea that maybe there's not a lot of news coming out until next summer. And so uh, a lot of investors have apparently sold uh, sold the news, and they'll probably be back. But this is a story I think you want to keep your eyes on. And we'll have Dr. Quentin Henning on the show sometime in the near future to talk about it, I'm sure. 
I've titled today's show, The Upcoming Revolt of the Middle Class. Michael Oliver, Charles Hughes Smith returned this week, and, uh, and the last-minute guest here is Chen Lin, who I mentioned will be with us in just a minute or two. Last summer, Black Lives Matter and Antifa wrecked havoc in most of the large cities in the United States, while the mainstream media paid very little attention to it or to the plight of America's middle class, who have become increasingly impoverished by the transfer of wealth from manufacturing uh, to government-funded enterprises. With their voices not heard for decades and their president censored from partisan, bipartisan Twitter and Facebook, the anger of a small number of Hillary Clinton's deplorables triggered the January 7th storming of the U.S. Capitol. Very unfortunate event, for sure. While silencing dissent, the question that I have is, will silencing dissent lead to national unity, or is that akin to pouring fuel onto the fire? Charles uh, Hugh Smith will opine on the reasons for this evolution of the two separate Americas and what impact America's division will have not only on our economy, but more importantly on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, not only for the middle class, but for all Americans. And I will be uh, talking to Charles Hugh Smith, as I said, during the second half of today's show. And Michael Oliver will be joining me in uh, just a a few minutes after the first commercial break. Michael will be with us to talk about his latest views on the economy. And I'm sure you're not going to want to miss what he has to say. But I'm also sure you're not going to want to miss what Chen Lin has to say. He's with me right now. Thanks for joining me, Chen. Hi, Jay. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's really good to have you with me, and I know that you've written a lot about the silver markets and about uh, uh, GameStop and various things. Uh, go ahead and tell us what your thoughts are about this uh, short squeeze by the uh, by the small retail investors. Uh, and there was supposed to be, and some people were speculating, perhaps a short squeeze on the silver markets. But uh, what are your thoughts on those topics right now? Yeah, they were. They had a very successful squeeze of GameStop. I went to almost 500 last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then their talk came out. They said, oh, let's squeeze silver. That started last Thursday. Um, Wednesday and Thursday. And when started, I thought, well, that's a very pretty smart idea because GameStop at that time, 500 is a very overvalued asset. Well, you can, right? And then you come to silver. will be something very exciting. Uh, as a new area, come to an undervalued asset, right? So reduce mm-hmm. your risk and then squeeze silver. Uh-huh. But there are so these diehard people, they, they stick on. They just think they can continue to squeeze uh, GameStop. They were GameStop. Uh, very upset. Yesterday, silver went up, GameStop went down, so they start cursing silver in the past 24 hours. That caused cold silver price to went down. You know, the, 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 those, uh, I cannot say, you know, because what did they see is they saw, oh, there's still a very high short interest out there, but they don't understand how short hedge fund works, right? Hedge fund can both long and short at the same time, and they can... They can do a lot of different things that normal people don't do, cannot do, right? You know what I'm saying? They can short and long in the same time, in the same mm-hmm. account. So mm-hmm. what happened was, um, because they don't want to short that uh, when, they, when they couldn't borrow, right? For example, they can long and short at the same time, so they sure. have a short there, have a long there, and then they can sell their long at any time because they don't sure. need to borrow shit. And then they mm-hmm. have already short pre-borrow. They don't understand. They don't have those ideas. Just, oh, short interest high, so we can squeeze them. Doesn't mean that, right? Mm-hmm. This week is the, is the truth. It went from 500 to under 100. So I just wow. have a, a small uh, GameStop short, and I covered it today. So 
you know, it's uh, I, I wasn't making money for games I just to watch them. Right? So, but anyway, it was uh, caused a very heavy uh, selling of silver. Uh, let's see, you know, for on Friday, an investor bought 35 million tons of silver. Yesterday, they bought almost 20 million tons. Ounce, I'm sorry, ounce. Okay, not twenty million ounce, ounces. Ounce, ounces, ounces. Yeah. Let, let's see what uh, SLV. You know, let's see what 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 today's data looks like. You know, I still think we have a, a good chance to uh, to squeeze the silver mm-hmm. because silver still is a very undervalued asset, and there's heavily shorted. You know, these LME came out. They said, "Oh, we have one billion ounce of silver, so you cannot squeeze that." But look. On the future contract, they're almost one billion now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And in, the, yeah. in the SLV itself, is six hundred plus million. I mean, yeah. and all the other ETF together, those silver sold over and over again. So right. if there's really powerful squeeze, it can really squeeze the silver. But it just right now, it just the, the party has split, so it's mm-hmm. very hard to to focus. And then the shorts are running this, you know, So. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like there's a shortage of, of physical silver, though, Chen, from what I'm hearing. Maybe that's just at the retail level with sh- with small coins and things. I'm not sure. But there is definitely right. a, a lot of offtake. And I heard also, maybe you can confirm this, that there's been a lot of buying in China for uh, of silver. Yeah, there's were a lot of buying over the weekend. Most of the silver shop, shops were out of silver coin, yeah. right? If you mm-hmm. go to Kitco right now, they're selling silver at almost $100 an ounce per silver coin. Okay, that's You're a kidding. $100 an ounce? Uh, about a dollar, 100 yeah. I mean, some of uh, they say on sale, 72 I think 70 or 72 is on sale, okay, code and code, per, per one ounce silver coin. I mean, it's crazy out there, but still, it doesn't matter. They just smash silver down so hard today, I feel like it. Yeah, that's so a paper market. <laughs> that's a paper market, Chan. That's, that, but that's a paper market, and and don't uh, you know if if the shorts are really going to be squeezed, it has to come through the physicals, doesn't it? Ultimately, right. So so I would uh, take a step back. I will watch uh, how many sewer was bought today. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? You look at yeah. how many physical. And I'm going to go to. Maybe it was sold. Maybe people get out, and that, that that's okay too. But if there's accumulation. Of silver today, even the day of today, watch out those shorts, right? Chen, with just about three or four minutes left here, what are your what are your ideas about the general equity market now, uh, as we go into this year? And then maybe uh, just mention a, a quick, a quick, very quickly, one of your biotech, one or two of your biotech uh, favorites. Right. Yeah. The, the the general market. I'm optimistic about the general market because there's a lot of stimulus, and then there's more stimulus coming, uh, money printing is unlimited. Yeah. So all mm-hmm. these people who eventually will realize silver and gold and uh, all the other miner, all the other stock, even even your house. I mean, it's very expensive. Yes, it is expensive, but you yeah. cannot build a house as fast as the central bank printing money. You know what I'm That's saying? That's right. So yep. Eventually, yep. hard asset will shine. But and then the, the, so much money pumping the system actually may create a stock market bubble. Uh, we are just uh, we probably more to go with the stock market, and also with biotech. I was so focused on that because the biotech fund. I was talking to you, the biotech fund who own 
like AMRS and ACHV. Yes. That's also you also cover. They also uh-huh. short GameStop. So I have to call them every day to make sure they're okay. They won't have a margin call to sell them. <laughs> but so far, they're good. They, they seem to be very strong. So, uh, so that's why I kind of know what's going on with GameStop. Anyway, uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, uh, but, 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 you know, they're both very good. You know, you look at the, they, they have a very decent news uh, recently. And, uh, like, ACHV has been very, very strong. Uh, the chart looks like it's about to break out again. So, uh, so I'm 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 quite optimistic. Well, and uh, for good reason. And I just uh, should mention to my to my listeners that Chen has had an excellent record, especially in the biotechs. He also follows the um, he follows the the, uh, the gold and silver mining markets and the bullion markets, and uh, also energy. Those are some of the areas that Chen has really excelled in, but especially biotech. So. It's uh, ChenPicks.com, the place to go to sign up for Chen's letter. It's not an inexpensive letter, but if you're a serious investor and uh, have the time to put in and follow up on Chen's advice, I think you can do very, very well with Chen. That is for sure. Uh, one last idea. Chen, any, any, any closing comments? Yeah, I think, you know, right now all these uh, back-to-work stock uh, is it's relatively cheap. I was uh-huh. advocating to... Buy in November, sell in December for a huge gain. Now it's actually back to close to November price. Actually, I start buying like a cruise liner, like you know those energy stuff. Those those looks quite cheap. And then I have a you know biotechs. Have a many have a very near term catalyst. So I'll be very busy February. So I guess maybe you're optimistic about COVID. Then uh, do you think maybe the the vaccines will will do the trick and we can get back to back to work hopefully. But looks like from Israel's data, Israel has the most advanced uh, vaccine development, you know, deployment. Uh, this looks very good, looks very fant- looks fantastic uh, from efficacy, safety. Oh, looks very mm-hmm. good. Right now, we have a variants, different variants in South Africa from Brazil. But I think, you know, with the tweak of vaccine, they probably can overcome that. Good. Okay. Well, we, it's always good to end on an optimistic note, Chen. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us today. It's always a pleasure having you on and getting your insights. So thanks for being with us. Okay, folks, well, we do have to go to break now, but Michael Oliver will be with us right after, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Cassiar Gold Corp. trades on the OTCQB under the symbol CGLCF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GLDC. Its flagship asset, the Cassiar Gold Project, is a large advanced stage road accessible gold property with an NI43-101 compliant resource estimate of 1 million ounces at 1.43 grams per ton gold at the Taurus near surface bulk tonnage gold deposit and 15 kilometers of high-grade gold prospects. The property hosts several past-producing high-grade gold mines and is in search for the next multi-million-ounce gold camp in British Columbia. Fury Gold Mines is a Canadian exploration and development company committed to aggressively growing its scalable, high-grade gold assets across its 3.5 million-ounce portfolio. Led by a management team of proven explorers and developers, Fury aims to generate major catalysts and performance per share by advancing exploration campaigns across Canada. 
Fury is well positioned to create value for investors with low risk, development growth, and the potential for a new major discovery. Fury Gold Mines trades on the TSX and NYSE American under Fury. To learn more, go to FuryGoldMines.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me for one full segment this week, Michael Oliver. Um, he is the author of Momentum and Structural Analysis. You need to go to olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Good to have you with me, as always. And um, well, I just wonder about this equity market. Uh, we just talked to our, my friend Chen Lin. He says he's very optimistic. Uh all this money sloshing around, uh, he doesn't see, you know, he doesn't see, at least in the near term, any likelihood that the equity market's in trouble. What are you seeing in terms of your indicators, momentum and structural stuff that well, you look at? When we look at the stock market, normally in the past, we focused on the S&P 500 as mm-hmm. a broad, you know, multi-sectored index. And quite often, it was a good metric, okay, to look at. But uh, starting last summer, when the upside really got hot, the mm-hmm. index that became the leader, and actually in weighting the leading components within the NASDAQ 100, uh, four or five of them constitute 50% of the entire index of 100 stocks. And a handful of those also now represent a huge percent of the S&P 500. So actually the movement in those indexes has largely been weighted by very narrow list of big-name stocks that we all know, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And therefore, our focus has gone totally now toward NASDAQ 100 and those three symbols. And we argue and we hold that we'll probably be right on this. If those symbols break down, you can forget all your other delusions about other sectors and so forth. They will take the market with it because they are the, the, the gravitas of the market right now. And we see vulnerability. Um, Now, when we start to see vulnerability in a trend, a turn, in other words, we don't just say, oh, it's over, sell it. No, uh -uh. we look for structures. We look Mm -hmm. for things that break, momentum things. Price is secondary. And that's not occurred yet. So uh, you have to agree with Chen. Everything's positive right now. But we are getting some signs of momentum overbought readings uh, on monthly action of the S&P and the NASDAQ. We needed this rally early this month. We argued that last in our weekend report that said, yes, the things look like they're trying to begin to top uh, with trigger numbers below. We need to have a sharp rally early in the month for certain reasons. We explained why. We got the mm-hmm. rally. Okay. Now, if we start to see arm wrestling type action over, the, over this month, you know, up, down, up, down, where you sort of net out nothing, mm-hmm. watch out. Because uh-huh. when you get into March – 
a lot of our trigger numbers are going to be very high, meaning close to the market. And if we start to topple them, I think you could get a transition to the downside again. And I suspect that the opposite of that will be occurring in the T-bond market, and that will also add impetus to the gold market, putting those mm-hmm. two markets again back in the alternative category mm-hmm. for most of risk the Risk-off. Term- Risk-off yeah. markets, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think that's what's shaping up. So I'm looking for arm wrestling topping action in the stock market probably this month where you get teasing rallies, teasing sell-offs, but, you know, a net sort of nothing. And if you get with a net sort of nothing, when you get into March, <clears throat> the market won't be able to sneeze. Because if mm-hmm. it does, it's going to start breaking stuff. So okay. right now, answer is no, but uh, we're looking for topping action. Well, this is why uh, you need to subscribe to Michael Oliver because he keeps you abreast of these things on weekly and in- interimly between uh, month uh, weekly reports. And I'm just looking at your last 360 weekend report, Michael, and that was January 31st. And and you do have charts in there for Apple. Uh, you've got Apple, you've got uh, Microsoft, and you've got Amazon. I guess those are some of the big boys you're talking those about, are the right? Big guys, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if that breaks down. Look out below, I guess, is what you're saying. That's, that's what we argue, and I, I, I hold with that. So we have a very narrow situation this time around. This is not a broad market top. It's going to be led by the guys who took you up here. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you, you got a little bit – I don't know if the right word is shaky, but, you know, you, you're never, I never see you as being shaky. I, I think that you see when there's shaky foundations or structures, uh, you call them. But with respect to gold, you got just a – teeny bit cautious a week ago, a couple of weeks ago or so. I don't no, think there's so about worried. a month ago. Yeah, and, and yeah. since then, you're right, uh, gold's been caught between certain levels. You know, it can't collapse, but it also can't seem to get up above certain levels. It's been stuck between the high 1800s and low 1800s, still well above that November low, which is down in the 1760s. Uh, we think that uh, gold is too aged on the downside in terms of like monthly momentum, the weekly bar action, if you look back to August. There's been a lot of downside sell-offs, most of them redundant, meaning that once you get the sell-off, you go back up again to a lower high maybe, but you recross the same ground. Then you come back down again, recrossing the same ground, and you really, if you're a bear, and you go back and look at the first sell-off low in August, let's say in silver or in gold, and say, okay, I got short then. You're not making any money. Mm-hmm. You've yeah. been six, seven months now trying to sell this market down, these markets down, and you're not going anywhere. Yes, you're getting volatility, but it is not collapsing. Uh, and right now, gold is uh, above still, right now, intramonth today, right this minute, above the highest monthly close of 2011, mm-hmm. the old mm-hmm. bull market peak, So uh, the high monthly close. So uh, it's, uh, I think it's just confusion over a several-quarter period. This happens at every time gold has made a new bull market peak, not a mm-hmm. peak, but a, a, exceeded a prior major bull market peak. It has gone into a sideways sloppy pattern for two to three quarters. Mm-hmm. And then and only then, after spooking everybody with nonsense type action, then it explodes. In other words, you don't go up and take out an old bull market peak and explode. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you buy a new high in gold, let's say, remember the old high in 1980 was 850, okay? Yeah. Many years later, you came up and took that out. If you bought that high, a new high, you got twisted and turned for about three quarters of a year. Sometimes up, sometimes down, but they just twisted you all over. And then did they explode to 1900? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so people. 
Yeah, I mean, people see a new high and they say, well, it can't go any higher. And there's, so there's a little arm wrestling that goes on for a few, a few qu- couple of quarters yeah, or so. In I other guess. words, don't buy price chart breakouts. Buy momentum yeah. breakouts. Yeah, well, that's what you're all... Be, yeah, that's what we're about. That, that's what you're all about. And, I, you know, I mean, I, why you're on the show all the time is because I see it working. And I don't want, you know, all these sort of impulsive in and out sort of moves. I, as an investor... Uh, that's why I appreciate what you do so much. How about the uh, how about the dollar now, and and the T bond? So you, I guess you see that the T bond strength likely when the market gets really weak. They're poised to turn up. They they've got their structures built. When you look at momentum, and they, in other words, it, it's a basing action. I could, it's clear on the momentum charts of, of T bond futures that they want to go up, meaning back up in price, down in yield. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've spent. Since March of last year, a heck of a long time drifting lower, if you stand back and look at it. It's no comparison to the advance in T-bond prices, the collapse in yields that occurred over the two prior years to that. So in other words, when you stand back and say, well, rates are going up, price is going down at T-bonds, it's trivial compared to Mm -hmm. the same periods of time of upside that occurred mm-hmm. prior to that uh, early 2020 high. Same with gold. You had this explosive move. You know, since uh, a year ago, actually two years ago, you've been going up constantly, but there was a big explosion last summer. And since then, you've really been flagging. Mm-hmm. But that flagging action, as is typical for some reason, gold, gold bulls seem to be the most nervous longs of any market I know of. <laughs> uh, you know, stock bulls aren't so nervous and so forth and no. so on, but oh. the gold bulls are always nervous. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's the it's the counter trade, right? It's the uh, I, I have to before we let you go. I've got to get your comments on silver. I know you've been uh, yeah. and maybe maybe comments silver versus gold. I think it's obviously stronger gold than gold. Silver versus gold is where to no. be. Period. No. Okay, we've come to that conclusion. Last summer, when silver broke out by our metrics at a price of nineteen forty eight, we thought within a quick period of time it would approach the upper twenties. We said, well, it went to twenty nine ninety in three weeks. A 50% gain. Since then, it's twisted and turned between uh, 20, uh, up, up till this week, between 29 and 22, most of that action being above the midpoint of that range. For instance, last Friday, Silver Close had a very strong week, close 26.90. And that's about where it's trading right now. So it gave back its early rally this week with, when it traded above 30. Now, the trading above 30, if you look at a price chart, again, Price charts aren't the best tools. <laughs> this is a good mm-hmm. example of that. By trading 30, you took out the high of last summer. Mm-hmm. That'd be like gold going above 2070, which it made its high last summer. It's not done it, but silver did. And, and then immediately back off through $4, back down to where it closed last week. Well, buying price chart breakouts can be very dangerous because everybody mm-hmm. in the world can see it. And mm-hmm. as Joe Granville once said, you know, if everybody sees it, you know, something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. And sure enough, if you bought silver above 30, you got beat up in the last 48 hours. Now, yeah. I don't think that 30 tick was false. I think it is a positive. But it's very much lagged. It's a price indicator to what momentum has already long ago said, be long silver. And as far as the gold-silver ratio, uh, our metrics turned up last summer when silver turned up to our momentum structures and exploded. So did the spread of, of silver versus gold. In fact, prior to silver making its new high this week, above last summer's high, mm-hmm. the January close of that spread, silver versus gold, made a new high for the move. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
for the, for the last few years, that is. Uh-huh, uh, so uh-huh. it's just begun. The silver turn versus gold is fresh. It only goes back to last July, and it's a long-term breakout. So I think silver is the place to be for the next year or two, easily. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So um, you also, you know, you've been just in general bullish on commodities, but um, you put out something the other day I noticed on natural gas. Would you want to comment on natural gas? And then just in general, we well, can wrap yeah, up with a, your ideas about commodities in general. It's, it's, a, it's a ragged component, but it is positive in our view. Uh, it has its sell-offs and so forth, but it, net on balance, it's gaining ground, and it's in positive annual trend. It's not our favorite pick, but basically you can throw a dart at the commodity complex, and, and uh, anything you hit with the darts is in an uptrend. Uh, we think right now, though, that it, what's interesting is that the monthly momentum of the S&P, and that's not long-term, but when you measure monthly versus a three-month average and you oscillate it, okay, it's an intermediate trend, looks very similar to the monthly momentum action of, for instance, crude oil, huh. which is a key commodity, of course. And we suspect that we've, ha- we've had a huge surge in many commodities over the last three to six months. Oil's had a huge percent move, copper, uh, while gold and silver have retrenched, by the way. Uh, soybeans, yeah. corn, and wheat, they, just, they, they look like there's a, a, a crop disaster out there. There isn't, of course. Mm-hmm. But they've exploded. And when you look at the chart, it, it would be fully reasonable to see soybeans, corn, wheat, oil go into a congestion or a slight pullback over the next month or two mm-hmm. to rest, maybe build a flag. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They had a huge move, and frankly, we think... They could, in the process of the stock market trying to top here, also crest and pull back some. The difference being that the pullback you might see in stocks is likely to be a domino effect that keeps going, whereas any pullback we get now in commodities is a buying opportunity. Mm -hmm. But they do look to be in sync somewhat with the stock market in terms of what might happen over the next month or two. Now, gold and silver are the opposites of that. It's interesting that while commodities have been quite strong the last two, three, four months, yeah. look at a soybean chart, for example, what's gold and silver been doing? Congestion. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think what we could get here is if the stock market rolls over, we could get a pause in the commodity explosion, the Bloomberg Commodity Index, but we could get a reassertion of gold, silver, and T-bonds, mm-hmm. the alternatives. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. That's kind of what we're expecting. Well, well, certainly, I mean, uh, still from a historical point of view, com- the commodities in general are very, very cheap, I think, right? Oh, still- yes, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. So page. we re- really haven't seen much of a move. Um, I mean, no, we've in seen terms the of- beginning statement move, you know, with the first explosion, like the beach ball has been pushed under the underwater and yeah. you let go of it, okay? That's just mm-hmm. happened. Now, I think it's appropriate, wouldn't surprise me, that those people who are long commodities should prepare for congestion. Mm-hmm. Uh, slash pullback, but not mm-hmm. a top. This is different from stocks. It may start yeah. to behave, if stocks roll over, they may start to behave like stocks, like they'll pull back with it, but they're not going to join in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is also it, true, I think, with emerging markets. Uh, mm-hmm. They look poised to pull back like the S&P does or the NASDAQ, but they don't have the dynamics to go down seriously. And emerging uh-huh. markets, of course, are a reflection of commodities. Sure, sure. No, that's that's very good. Always good to have you, Michael, and it's always good to have you for a few extra minutes today uh, as opposed to our usual time with you, and it's uh, really great. Thank you for being with us. And Thank you, Jim. Again, it's Oliver MSA, folks, OliverMSA.com. 
seriously consider subscribing. If you're a serious investor, um, I don't think you can go wrong uh, subscribing to Oliver, Michael Oliver's excellent work based on momentum and structure. And momentum, more than the price charts, he, momentum and structure and a nice, you know, most everybody looks at price charts. Michael looks at momentum and structure. And uh, boy, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer. That's why Michael's here as often as we can get him. Thank you so much, Michael. All right, folks, uh, we do have to go to break now, but when we come back, Charles Hugh Smith will be with us, and he's going to have some very interesting things to say about the direction of our country and markets and um, a lot of the stuff that's going on now with, uh, with GameStop and other things. So uh, we'll be right back with, uh, with uh, Charles Hugh Smith. Don't go away. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSXV and GTBAF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their district scale Dixie project in the renowned Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having made multiple high-grade near-surface gold discoveries, GBR's capital efficiency has allowed them to be fully funded to complete a very active 300,000-meter drill program through 2021. Stay up to date on what's been considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last three years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me Charles Hugh Smith. He's been with us a number of times in the past. Always enjoy his uh, his excellent essays that are on the web, and uh, and you can subscribe to his special ones uh, by providing a donation to his work. Uh, he is a very independent person, uh, and he provides information that you won't get on the mainstream media because those people are bought and paid for. Uh, by special interests, but Charles, um, his special interest is I would I think, I think I'm I'm safe in saying that Charles' special his real interest is the truth, uh, the objective truth, and uh, that's why I enjoy reading what he has to say. If he's not bought and paid for by someone else, it's Charles speaking for what he believes to be true. And unfortunately, more and more it seems these days, um, if it isn't the right kind of truth, the truth so de- so described by. Uh, certain special interests, then it's not welcome. And uh, that is, uh, I think, very unfortunate. But Charles keeps on speaking, and he keeps on saying what he believes to be true. And for that, I'm very thankful and very happy to welcome him. Thank you for being with us again, Charles. It's always my pleasure, Jay. And it's always my pleasure again to tell people to go to of2minds.com, of2minds.com, to get uh, in touch with Charles and, and all that he does. 
Um, you, you're talking to us from Hawaii, and, and I think you said it's around 10.30 or something like that uh, in the morning uh, in yes. Hawaii. Uh, 3 o'clock here in New York. Okay. Well, and uh, you, you had been living in California, but I think now you're permanently in, in Hawaii. Is that true? Uh, yes. I've, I've joined the exodus, although I do have deep roots in Hawaii. I went to high school and college here and, and started my first business here, and my wife's from here. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I've never been there. I, I think it would be nice to go if we ever get past COVID. I just don't like the idea of wearing a mask for 24 hours and anyway, on an airplane or whatever. So, But anyway, uh, yeah, I'd like to focus on your article, your January 27th article, The Coming Revolt of the Middle Class. Um, you know, in looking at statistics, they show that up until about 1971 or so, income distribution was quite egalitarian in the United States. That CEOs made more than average workers for sure, and doctors did pretty well and some other people, but it was nothing like the kind of um, disparity in the income that we see now. And there's a chart that you've shown on one of your recent essays that shows that something like, um, you know, the super wealthy, the one-tenth of one percent of the population, garner nearly all of the income growth. So wherever the GDP is growing, they're capturing virtually all of it. What do you think the, the cause of the demise of America's middle class, it, uh, what do you think the cause of this demise is? Because once upon a time, the mid, America's middle class was looked at as sort of the envy of the world. Right. Well, well Jay, that's a, a big topic, but I think it's really critical uh, to the, the path of the, of the nation's future. If we cannot recover the widespread prosperity that you you know that we call the middle class, then uh-huh. uh, we're we're um, we're going down a path that that leads to bad things happening when 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 the prosperity is is uh, not widespread, right? And it's not um, there's no social mobility for people to say I, I can get a piece of that if I just do work hard and do the right things. I, I yeah. think there's a couple of reasons. One is, of course, that the central bank, the Federal Reserve, has uh, dropped interest rates to zero. And um, back in the good old days, the, the government actually guaranteed uh, you five and a quarter percent interest on your mm-hmm. savings account. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not bad. I mean, uh, <laughs> you'd have to you'd have to be a rich person and invest in a hedge fund to get five percent. Now you get a tenth of one percent now. So. That um, I, I, I referenced an article in um, the journal Foreign Affairs, um, which is one of the you know premier publications in the U.S. Um, and and the author said that 97 percent of all the income generated from capital, meaning savings, 401 accounts, uh, you know rental houses, um, small businesses. You know anything that we call capital. Ninety-seven percent of all that income goes to the top ten percent. The bottom ninety percent, which of course includes the middle class, gets like a, a gets a mere three percent of all the income from capital earned in the United States. So I look at this and go, well, this means that the middle class has been decapitalized. Their capital is no longer productive. Yeah, you own your house, but that's more like a lottery ticket nowadays than than a, a source of income. So I think that's a big difference. And um, another study um, by the, uh, this uh, think tank, uh, RAND, R-A-N-D, yes. then they did a study, and, and this is, again, a premier institution in, in, um, in America. This is not some fly-by-night thing that started a, a few weeks ago. It's a premier think tank, and they found that 
um, since the early 70s, as you mentioned, from that time forward to the last 45 years, the economy has seen a $50 trillion transfer of wealth from the uh, people who earn most of their money from, from working uh, to people who just own capital. In other words, you know, the billionaires and, and financiers and hedge funders. And that's a staggering amount of money. Now, admittedly, that's over a couple of generations, but um, I think the middle class has been impoverished by the policies of the Federal Reserve and, um, and, and forces such as financialization and globalization. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly believe, in, and I think David Stockman made the uh, comment on this show some time ago, that uh, you can't have a thriving capitalist system if you don't allow capital to be priced by the market. In other words, if someone is going to suppress the price of capital uh, by creating endless amounts of money, then what you're doing is you're, you're encouraging consumption in a way that it, that it, isn't, that it isn't natural. You're can you know, and you're just well. You're discouraging saving, just as you said. And I know Ron Paul used to talk all the time about when he was in Congress, he would criticize uh, Greenspan or whoever the Federal Reserve chairman was, uh, criticize them for for this very thing that he was essentially robbing the middle class, robbing people who were, you know, who were just working hard and playing by the rules and saving money and not living beyond their means. But then come along this notion of Keynesian economics that somehow we can get rich by living beyond our means. Um, Charles, I, it seems to me that something really big happened. 1971, when we went off the gold standard, it allowed, uh, along with the petrodollar, uh, America's military might being used to enforce the dollar as the world's reserve currency. It allowed us to create endless amounts of money based on debt, not on, not on an asset. And then redistribute wealth to all manner of government um, entities and, and people and corporations that were tied to the government. Do you see that as, as a trend that might have hollowed out the middle class or been partly responsible for it? Absolutely, Jay. Um, there's a, um, a, an author, and of course, I, I love everything that um, David Stockman writes because he, he, he understands how capitalism is supposed to work and once worked and, and it doesn't work. And that's kind of what we're talking about now. Yeah. Um, there's a book out by, I, I believe the, the author is Matt Stoller. Uh, Stoller. It's mm-hmm. called Big. And, and it's about the, the damage done to the American economy by monopolies, you know, yeah. and, and cartels, which are the same thing. And so, we're, we, you know, we all know what big tech does. And there are lots of other monopolies, you know, hospital chains, big pharma. And so these have, um, these have destroyed a lot of, of the entrepreneurial foundation of America because they control markets and then they use their, their profits to buy political favoritism, right, to lighten the regulations and lighten their tax burdens. And so, and, and, and another factor I think we should discuss is the heavy tax burden on on the middle class. Mm-hmm. Now, now, if you're in the lower middle class and you've got a couple of children and you're making like fifty to $60,000, you're not going to be paying too much federal tax, but you might be paying really high sales tax, property yes. taxes, yes. you know, vehicle registration taxes in the hundreds of dollars. And then if you're, if you're doing pretty well and you're in the upper middle class and you're making one hundred and fifty dollars or even $200,000, 
you know, if you've got a kid in college or you've got health care expenses, you're taking mm-hmm. care of an elderly parent or something, you're not you're not you're not doing very well because That's so right. much of your money goes to taxes. Yeah. And I mean, part of why so many people are fleeing high uh, tax states like California is property tax can be fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a year. Then healthcare is expensive. You know, vehicle taxes are expensive. Sales taxes. I mean, it's like how much money do you have left? And when we think back to when we started working, we were able to keep a lot more of our money. Mm-hmm. Isn't that? I mean, that's statistically the case. Our what we had bought a lot more goods and services than what we're left with now buys. Yeah. It certainly seems to be the case, and um, yeah, and and what what are uh, what is Hawaii like in the in those terms? Does it have a high tax structure? It's a very high tax structure, yeah. and yeah. and so um, this is why we're seeing an exodus of very wealthy people from California, who um, because the wealthy can hire tax attorneys, <laughs> and yeah. they have they have their foundations and so on and so forth, where they kind of hide their money and then and um, and then they use their foundations to make money, um, and and influence political you know uh, activities. So the, the the super wealthy have a lot of um, a lot more power to evade taxes than than the rest of us, and I think that's that's part of why people are are angry, you know. And I think part of what we're seeing with Wall Street bets and and um, the recent action in the market is people are angry that um, the system is so skewed, it's so rigged to the super wealthy in a way that, as you as you mentioned, was not the case. Uh, pre-1971, pre-75, you know. Uh, Charles, what do you make of this GameStop uh, activity and the retail investors trying to smoke out the the big boys? Uh, or, or who do you think the – I don't really have a good handle on who these retail investors are. Are they are they the people in the middle middle class that have lost their way or are they – uh, young yuppies, or I don't know what they call them, young people that uh, you know are living in their parents' basements now, or and and might tend towards the left side of the political spectrum. Or do you have a do you have a sense, or what are your thoughts about GameStop and and the revolution? Because we see some very interesting um, alignments in Washington, at least initially, AOC and and the senator from Texas there. Uh, although AOC is saying she wants nothing to do with the guy that uh, was the cause of the riots in Washington. Uh, and then on the one hand, so you have AOC standing up for the retail people, and you have Elizabeth Warren on the other side, who's, uh, you know, you know, who's who's sort of defending um, the big boys on Wall Street. Yeah, well, Jay, I think it's a fascinating topic, and there's there's a lot of angles to it, and I don't claim to be an expert, but what I see is again going back to the middle class is that a, a lot of these uh, young traders are apparently millennials, and yeah. uh, and so. And, and they feel, um, and I think with uh, justification, that generationally, they, they have a much uh, harder road to hoe than mm-hmm. the previous generations. In other words, when those of us um, who, who were going to college in the 70s or early 80s, we didn't have huge student loans. Co- college was cheap. No. You know? yeah. and, and I could rent an apartment for you know, a few hundred dollars. And, and now it's a few thousand dollars if, you, mm-hmm. if you're trying. You know. So I think that there's a generational uh, injustice that not mm-hmm. only is the money flowing to the very top, but the people who are at the top tend to be older 
and um, and they, they we were all and I'm 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 as part of that group that I was able to buy a house at, at far less amount of money than than a millennial would have to pay now, and mm-hmm. so. I think that uh, part of why the, the middle class will rebel is the generational inequality, right? That, um, and it's not, it's not an older person's fault that they bought a house, it, they, but it's a matter of luck. The economy was, was sounder and, and, um, and fairer, right, and, and more open to social mobility. Now the social mobility ladder has been broken. And so the millennials are going, well, what do I do to get ahead? I guess I might as well gamble in the stock market because that's yeah. how I see all these billionaires doing it. Yeah, right, right. And then, and then when they come to understand that the deck is stacked against them, uh, that really makes them furious. And you pointed out in a recent article, uh, you know, you talked about um, – the, the you know the, the problems that we have here the structural problems the, 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 with regard to the Fed and uh, how the deck is sort of stacked against the little guy uh, maybe you could talk about that I think your article uh, it's the article that the stock market fatally wounded by the truth will stumble and crash is an article that you wrote January 30th um, you know you, and you and you talk about the Fed and the stock market as being fraudulent. Maybe you'd like to just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I thank you, thank you, Jay. And again, it's it's it goes to this our topic of the day, which is the revolt of the middle class. That mm-hmm. you know, again, two generations ago, the middle class had retirement, uh, you know, IRAs and four hundred one ks that were tended often funded by, you know, their employer. Now mm-hmm. uh, that's that's less the case, right? And back then, you could count on uh, some kind of safe return. The market, you know, had its volatile moments but in general it was you were buying a a a piece of a company Mm -hmm. now it's really a casino and and it's it's rigged because the people who who can front run us in other words they can look at the order book when i place an order on td ameritrade they can see it before my order executes and they can buy it for you know they can make a dime Mm -hmm. or a nickel or something and then i and and i've been basically ripped off because you know they could front run my order that all of wall street is filled with these kinds of tricks and so it's the the market has is not really fair and open and people will say well it's always been manipulated back from the 20s and and we go okay yes of course you know large players can manipulate the market but we're talking about the structure of it you know that just it's not just some bad players it's it's we're talking about the whole thing is rigged from the ground up and so it's very hard to um to navigate uh, a casino and that's basically what the american economy has become and and the speculators are the ones who are making billions and so it's like the incentives are for speculation rather than being productive and and this is i think really devastating to the nation the people aren't looking for ways to be productive because that's no longer profitable. They're looking for ways to speculate and and rig some market. Yeah, it goes to the uh, uh, it go in essence the 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 lack of health in our economy as a whole. And I would argue that that has so much to do with this massive destruction of capital uh, by having by not allowing capital to be properly priced. Um, you know, I mean, our first mortgage, Mrs. Taylor and I, was seventeen and a half percent, right? In in, in nineteen. Uh, in 1981, um, you know, capital really cost something, and there was a reason to save money. 
and you could invest in companies, and I, I would argue that you still can, but it's very difficult. It takes a lot of time, and also, um, yeah, the, the the big guys have these advantages, and and certainly on short selling, uh, I think the markets are basically rigged in favor of the short sellers. Certainly with the smaller cap companies, uh, I've seen that. But I would argue, Charles, and let me know what you think that the that it's this massive amount of money that's pumped into this system that is that goes in the direction of those that are privileged. No, whenever we see uh, another two trillion dollars pumped into the system, guess what happens? It doesn't go into the main street; it goes into Wall Street. So Wall Street has the money, and they bid up stocks. That's why that one tenth of one percent is gaining all the wealth. That, that's the way I see it. I, I totally agree, and I think I think everybody that looks at the economy and the financial system would have to agree with you. You know that you those closest to that huge money spigot can then buy up everything, and and manipulate markets and establish monopolies, and the rest of us are left with a trickle down, which statistically turns out to be three percent. Ninety percent of us get to share three percent. Of all yeah. the wealth being generated, and that's yeah. that's a that's a statistic that I think everybody should really think about. <laughs> but I would say that's a recipe for a disaster, and I wonder if what we saw last summer, uh, you know, with with people on the left uh, tearing apart cities, uh, you know, wrecking, setting on fire public buildings, and then this latest fiasco in Washington D.C. If that isn't a symptom of what you're talking about, this disparity of income and wealth. But, uh, Charles, you mentioned in one of your articles, uh, you said America has no plan to reverse this destructional, uh, this destructive tide of, of neo-feudal neo privilege, is the way you call it, or, 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 or pillage. Uh, with just two minutes left, maybe you could just comment uh, very quickly on what kind of a comment, what kind of a, a plan do you think would be needed to restore the kind of health that we enjoyed in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s? Well, Great question, Jay. And of course, I think you outlined one one part of critical part of the answer, which is we have to get rid of the Federal Reserve and other central banks managing markets to benefit the privileged. So, in other words, capital has to be freely priced on the market, right? Uh-huh. And along along with risk, and the price will go up because capital should be expensive because then you're going to make wiser decisions with deploying it. I think we also need uh, uh, to restore the ladder of social mobility which means making it uh, affordable and easy to start your own business and become Mm -hmm. Mm self-employed. And right now, that's just become a regulatory nightmare. And so very few people have the the ability and the skills to do that. And then we can teach people those skills. In other words, that should be a core part of our education, not just, you know, math and science to become a technocrat or an employee for some corporation that has a monopoly, but to start your own business. And so we we need to get rid of all the deadwood regulations. We need to lower taxes by lowering the expenses of of, of the way we live in our government. And so we need to get back to the frugality that you talked about, but also focus on what does it take to get social mobility. And, you know, what's funny is the U.S. military... Um, has done a better job than the rest of American society in offering social mobility to its mm-hmm. its, 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 its the enlisted people. Yeah. They, they have a meritocracy, and if you do the work and you learn what you're, you know, got to learn, and you get along with people, and then, you know, you can rise through the ranks. And, and that's, we need to take that model and apply it to our entire society. Not necessarily, I'm saying, 
in, in a military sense, but to take those lessons that the military learned and yeah. is applied and apply them everywhere. Yeah. So. We, yeah, we need social mobility restored. Yeah, amen to that. And it doesn't matter uh, race, creed, or color, or religion, or whatever. It's If you do the job, uh, it's a meritocracy, and I think we're losing that to a great extent. I would also argue, uh, Charles, that uh, we ought to teach kids about capitalism in school. They have no idea. They don't understand a supply curve or a demand curve and why it makes sense. But if they could see that in their real lives, it does make sense. If people understood capitalism but they're never taught it in the schools. So uh, that's another thing I would throw, add to you. The excellent. Def- definitely I agree with all that you've said. We are out of time. Charles, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's always a pleasure. Your insights, and again, um, it's of two minds, of two minds.com. It's where people need to go to sign up and, and learn to know uh, Charles and sign up for his letter. Uh, very good. Thank you, Charles, for being with us. Thank you so much, Jay. It was my pleasure. All righty, folks. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, I'm going to have David Duffy, former portfolio manager and author of The Coffee Can Portfolio. He's with me as well as Dr. Quentin Henning. Uh, He'll be here to talk about Irving Resources. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. 